Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We continue our study through the New Testament. And if you remember our prior studies in these pastoral epistles, it's very important to remember this is pastor to pastor. Uh, Paul to Timothy. Old man Paul to young man Timothy. Uh, the last letter uh, to Timothy. Uh, Paul's uh, last letter to Timothy, <laughs> chronologically speaking, Paul's last letter. We still have a couple books left of the, the, uh, 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 the epistles written by Paul, uh, 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 but chrono- in chronological order, this is Paul's last letter. Uh, in very short time, in this time frame, Paul's going to be beheaded. Uh, he's going to die. Uh, in the faith and for the faith and for the Lord. Uh, But what's so powerful is remember in how Paul said that, you know, yes, he's in chains, but the word of God is not chained. And his exhortation to Timothy is run with it, Timothy. The next generation, yes, of righteousness, but the next generation of pastoral leadership. Um, and, you know, understand that these aren't just run-of-the-mill pastors. If you've been walking with us for a while or you've listened to the entirety of the pastoral epistles or study through these pastoral epistles, it's very important to understand these aren't run-of-the-mill pastors. This isn't just, hey, we need a warm body over here so you you go stand at the pulpit. No, these are biblically qualified men of God. Full package. You know, they're uh, not like the average bears. Uh, Paul and Timothy and Titus, remember Paul has his, the large bubble, which includes the church, a smaller bubble, which has ministry leaders, and then a very small bubble, which has pastors, overseers. It's very important to make this distinction. And, you know, me personally, I have a hard time with this passage. I have a hard time with this chapter because I'm so in love with Paul. There's so many people in the Bible that I'm just... To say I'm fond of them, it doesn't do it justice. I, I'm I'm so in love with these people, male, female, young, old, and it's the men and women of faith, the boys and girls of faith, the old guys and the old ladies of faith, and not run of the mill, hardcore, hardcore. I mean, look at the faith of Hannah, you know, and it's it's so powerful how her faith and how she poured into her son and. When the Lord was not speaking to the high priest, who had ears to hear? Little Samuel. You see, and I'm so in love with these people, male, female, young, old, Old Testament, New Testament. It's the family of faith. I know that we all have our biological families. You know, we all are are, are born into Adam. But born again in Christ, there is a spiritual family. It's the church body. And, you know, when we say, like, run-of-the-mill run pastors, don't forget that there is such a thing as run-of-the-mill church. You know, run-of-the-mill church, which isn't good. Run-of-the-mill run church would be like a Laodicea, but a not run-of-the-mill church, a bot, the ecclesia, the episunagagi, the, uh, the ecclesia, that would be more like a Philippi. Remember, Ecclesia translates in the Greek of a body, an assembly of those who are called. An assembly of those who are called. It's not a social club. You see? 
And yes, we all have our biological families born into Adam. But what about born into Christ? Our spiritual families. Men, women, young, old, you know, heirs of Abraham, according to faith, by promise of God to Abraham, not through the law, not by the law, by the fulfillment of the law and fulfilling the promise of God unto Abraham, heirs of Abraham by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. You see? We stress formula on purpose for a reason so that you and I can know not just the formula for pastors so that you and I can know, okay, this is a qualified pastor and I'm going to submit myself to him. Because yes, the Bible says, you know, in the book of Hebrews, submit to the pastor. But you cannot do that to just anybody because there's a lot of crackpots out there who stand at the pulpit. You cannot submit yourself to just anybody. And when we understand formula, you know, I know through the word of God that, okay, this guy's disqualified. This guy's disqualified. This lady is disqualified. This other lady is disqualified. This guy is disqualified. But this guy over here, he's the full package. This other guy over here, he's the full package. This other guy over here, he's the full package. Not package one, not package two, not package three, the full package. And when you have that, and when you understand formula, and the formula aligns inside of a pastor, doctrine, the fruit of the Spirit, walking according to the Spirit, and when you see that, you know, okay, that guy is a servant of the Lord, a friend of the Lord, and he's watching out for my soul. He's watching out for my soul. And when you see that formula and recipe inside of that vessel, you know, okay, it is safe to submit myself to that guy because he's watching out for my soul. He's helping me. If I go do my crack, he's going to call on it. You see, if I go do my sex, he's going to call me on it. You see, if I go do my Buddha, my alcohol, Virgin Mary, the, uh, you know, gambling casino, he's going to call me on it. Why? Because he's watching out for my soul. Because we're going to paradise. Conduct, not unbecoming, conduct, becoming of a Christian. Yes, Paul, you know, Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy, these are not run-of-the-mill pastors. And so what does Paul say in the previous chapters and, you know, chapter one, two, and three, we see like, you know, uh, wolves, wolves that are a threat to the church, a threat to the saints and a threat inside the body. And then we see like the, the, the threat of the wolf, but then, you know, we see the fruit of the wolf. And so what does Paul say here in second Timothy chapter four, verse one, I charge you therefore, remember These aren't, you know, Paul isn't the average bear. He's not like the average bear. Remember when we were in our studies in the book of Acts, if if you've been walking with us for a while, in our studies in the book of Acts, how many times do you remember us saying that? 
You know, Paul's not like the average bear, not like the average bear. And you probably like roll your eyes like, oh my, here he goes again. He's saying he's not like the average bear. But we say that for a reason. Because he's not run-of-the-mill pastor. And it's this guy who's not like the average bear, who's exhorting young pastor Timothy, who's been in Paul's inner circle in the tiny bubble. Not the big bubble, not the medium bubble, the tiny bubble. A very small sphere of influence. Paul as a pattern unto Timothy for Timothy to follow and emulate. And for 14 years, little Timmy, he grew up, he matured, you know, according to the flesh, but he also matured according to the faith, according to the spirit. He moved on to perfection. And now he's young pastor Timothy. This isn't run-of-the-mill pastors. I mean, run-of-the-mill pastor, you know, would say to a younger pastor, I charge you to teach crazy love in accordance to the New York Times bestseller. You see, that's what run-of-the-mill pastor says. They got the pastor parking spot. They got a name tag that says, I am the senior pastor. I am the head pastor. They got, you know, signs on the wall. This is co-pastor. This is co-pastor. And this is head pastor. They, you know, the guy looks like him. He's got the degrees on the wall. He's got all this. And run of the run of the mill pastor. I charge you, therefore, to teach New York Times bestseller Crazy Love. I charge you, therefore, to teach that the mark of the beast is okay and you'll still be saved. I charge you, therefore, to go grave soaking. I charge you, therefore, that God is done with Israel. Start teaching this to the body replacement theology. You might say like, oh my goodness, this guy's crazy. What is he talking about? But this is what is happening in churches. You don't have to wonder like, you know, what if this is happening? No, it's happening. And so if you're in a church where they say, okay, you know, we have our study Bibles and, you know, we teach this theology, we teach this theory, we teach this. Because you know formula, you know, this guy's crazy. This guy, he stands at the pulpit, he's got the pastor parking spot, he's got the name tag that says pastor, but do not submit yourself to that guy. Leave, jump ship. Jump ship. Remember, your loyalty, my loyalty, our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the head pastor of every church. Sometimes, you know, oh, what do I do? You know, people ask me, you know, what do I do? You know, I'm in this part of town. All the churches are crazy. And so I kind of settle for this place. I kind of settle for this place. And what do I do? Number one, pray. Pray. Pray that the Lord show you and guide you and, you know, bring you to a place where you know that, okay, according to biblical formula, that it is okay to submit yourself to this pastor or that pastor. Pray for the pastors. But in the last days, the last days model isn't mega church. The last days model for church isn't, you know, mid-sized church. The model for the last days is tiny church. Tiny church. The model for the last days is home church, home fellowship. People say, oh, the, the word church isn't, you know, after after Revelation chapter 4, the word church, you won't find that because the church has been raptured. Wrong. 
The church's pre-tribulation and the book of Revelation is, is, is in chronological order and you don't see the word church after chapter 4. Therefore, it's been, it's been raptured. Wrong. That's biblically inaccurate. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's false doctrine. The reason why you don't see the word church, you see the word saint, absolutely, and saints, plural, but it's very interesting that where you see saints, plural, you don't see the word church. Because in the New Testament, where you see the word saints, plural, you know, with the S at the end, saints, plural, you also see the word church. But in Revelation, you don't see that. And some, according to a theory, they say, well, that's because the church has been raptured. Wrong. It's because the church has entered judgment. Judgment comes first to the house of God. As Brother Peter says. You see? So this isn't run-of-the-mill pastor, you know, I charge you, therefore, to teach grave-soaking. I charge you, therefore, to teach, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. No. Those are unbiblical. Wrong formula. This is Paul unto Timothy. Old man Paul to young man Timothy, both pastors, both overseers, both responsible in their ministry unto the Lord, tasked by the Lord to serve him in this capacity as overseers. And Paul is saying in verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is in the presence. We see before. I charge you therefore before. It's in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see? I mean, remember, you know, to understand that these two are not like the average bear. You know, we've emphasized this before in the past. But for for Timothy... Say it was run-of-the-mill, run-of-the-mill pastor. The pastor who teaches crazy love, crazy love, New York Times bestseller. Pastor who teaches, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Pastor who teaches grave soaking. Pastor who teaches, uh, 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 in accordance to a coalition that God has all done with Israel. And they say, hey, Timothy, I charge you therefore. Now, for Timothy to submit, you see, for Timothy to submit and do what they say, he would be in the wrong. Timothy would be in the wrong. Now, those guys are in the wrong, but Timothy would now be in the wrong, coupled with that false doctrine. But when the formula is known, someone could say, you know, hey, Timothy, I charge you, therefore, you know, as, uh, teach that, you know, crazy love in accordance to New York Times bestseller. Hey, Timothy, I charge you, therefore, you know, you know, like a union mentality, a, 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 a shop, shop steward mentality where, you know, oh, I've been a pastor for 50 years and you've been a pastor for two years. So, you know, I have seniority, Timothy, and I charge you, therefore, to teach that Christians can take the mark of the beast and they'll still be saved. No, Timothy knows the formula. He said, no, fat chance. That's not happening. Not on my watch. That's not happening. You see, you're a servant of Satan. Because Timothy knows the formula. And so you and me, remember, it's the Lord that leaked these letters. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. 
I mean, if, some, if I wrote you a letter, if I wrote you a letter and like somebody else is reading it, you know, I'd be like, well, what? That's, that's to me. That letter's to me. If you wrote me a letter and somebody else is reading it, it's like, wait a second, that's to me. And that's what Paul did. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. Eh? Well, this is from Paul to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, you know, this t- t- Timothy's perspective of this is for me. But it's the Lord who leaked these letters. It's the Lord who leaked these letters. Why? So that you and me can know. That guy over there, he's disqualified. I know he's got the pastor parking spot. I know he's got the name tag that says pastor. I know he's got the degrees on the wall. I know he's got, you know, he dresses like a pastor, whatever that looks like. He speaks like a pastor. He speaks, you know, he has an appearance of holiness. But when you know formula, you know that guy's crazy. That guy is straight up loco. You go to a church and a lady's at the, a lady's at the pulpit. She's pastor. You know, right off the bat, this is crazy town. You see, a guy's at the pulpit and starts teaching. Hey, you know, we go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You see, and Timothy in submission to Paul, both of them are in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like in our study on Wednesday, it just so happens, it just so happens. Instruction to Joshua, and it's like, well, wait a second, you know, how come the Lord didn't give uh, instruction to Joshua about uh, 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 east of the Jordan? Well, because that was given to Moses, and Moses gave it to, to Joshua. But it's from the Lord, but you know, when you have the formula is right in Moses, the formula is right in Joshua, Joshua can do what Moses instructs because the formula is right. Vessels of the Lord. I mean, when all Israel was defiled, who wasn't? Moses and Joshua. Now, there's redemption in place where Israel was defiled, but with these two vessels comes the cleansing of Israel. There was also judgment in, you know, if you remember our study in Exodus, very difficult studies. There was also judgment, chastisement. I mean, Aaron was included in that mix of Israel being defiled, and Israel became defiled largely because of Aaron. But then you see redemption. Aaron was high priest in the aftermath of repentance. In the aftermath of restoration, Aaron was high priest. You see? But remember, only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. That's a big deal. In the case of Israel, when Israel wasn't clean, who were the ones who were clean? Moses and Joshua. And the Lord used them to clean. You see? In the case of Corinth, when Corinth was defiled, did he use the pastors of Corinth? No. He used those who were clean, which were those in Chloe's household. I'm so in love with Chloe. I'm so because you know females in in, in that day and age you know it, it, not that they were lower class carnally speaking somebody could see them as lower class but 
in the church where the formula is right and there's you know uh, 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 ecclesia a body of those who are called in accordance to the word of god male and female could understand that in christ there is no male female in christ there is no jew no gentile in christ there is no slave and free because we are one in christ but we know that the formula was pretty messed up in corinth but who was it just like when israel was defiled and the lord you know who who could only the clean can clean who was there moses and joshua in the case of corinth who was there when the church was defiled paul and chloe beautiful beautiful paul and chloe and those in her household women you see women and what do they do they go to the male covering who was that paul paul and chloe beautiful and then look at the restoration of corinth I have that love-hate relationship with Corinth. They're just the thought of the, the saints in that, in that state of carnality. It's like, wow, I hate this. But I also love it because look at the restoration. Not without a heavy cost. Because remember the separation away from the leaven. And so we see in verse 1, this is Paul's exhortation in this, I charge you therefore in verse 1, before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge, Krino, which this is, you know, condemning. Remember the three three derivatives, there's more, but the, you know, the main ones are Krino, Anacrino, and Diacrino. Krino, Anacrino, and Diacrino in the Greek. What you and me cannot do is tell a person, hey, you know, uh, 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 you know, thus saith the Lord, you're going to burn in hell. We cannot, we, there's no, we cannot condemn another. Only the Lord can judge. Only the Lord can judge. That's crino. Only the Lord can condemn. But there is anacrino and diacrino, which you and I can do. But remember, the only way for you and I to do that is when you and I are not hypocrites. Because if a person has hypocrisy and then attempts to correct another brother or another sister, that person is guilty of judgment. Remember our study in Romans 2? That person is guilty of judgment. You cannot have a plank in your eye and tell a person, you know, hey, don't do the sex when you yourself are doing the sex. Hey, don't do the crack when you yourself are a crackhead. Hey, you know, don't go to the casino when you yourself are a gambler. You see, that's hypocrisy. And it doesn't work that way. It's judgment unto that person. A lot of pastors are in trouble. A lot, you know, forget pastors. A lot of Christians are in trouble. You see, the formula's got to be right. And so this, you know, there's still anacrino and diacrino. You and me, we cannot say, hey, you're going to, you're condemned to hell. Hey, you're going to burn in hell. I mean, you know, you're going to burn, you know, thus saith the Lord, you're going to burn in hell. That cannot be said. Only the Lord, you know, the Lord, he's, he will judge. He will crino. But you and me, we can anacrino and diacrino, which is 
to make an assessment, to make a determination where you see, okay, this guy, he's in the church, but he's doing, he's, you know, a, 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 a sex head. Uh, this lady, she's in church, but she's a crackhead. Now, it's not to say like, okay, you guys are leaven. It's to say, hey, what's up? You know, for, you know, the mature Christians to come alongside, you know, it, maybe that person is a baby Christian, just became a believer and doesn't know their conduct unto the Lord. You see? Now, remember, it's another thing entirely if a person's been a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and they're still the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. They're still those things because now you get into leaven territory. And when leaven is identified, it has to be dealt with. You see? Now, when leaven is identified... It's not to say that, okay, this person is uh, not a believer. This person is going to burn in hell. No, the remnant has a choice to make. Once a person has identified, this guy is leaven. I mean, we're talking like, you know, uh, you know, in the case of Corinth, it was three years. Three years, no change. So, I mean, if you want to apply three years, you know, you could apply three years, you know, five years. But when you get in like three plus years, and there, you know, a person comes to Christ and they were a crackhead, but then three years later, they're still a crackhead. Something's wrong. You're getting into leaven territory. You see, in the case of Corinth, it was three years. But today, I mean, you're having like, you know, 20 years. Arrested development for 20 years. Arrested development for 40 years. Arrested development for 50 plus years. You see it. This isn't unheard of. But when you see that, it's not to say, okay, this guy is going to burn in hell. You know, it's to say, I got to separate from this guy. I have to separate from this lady. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. Remember in Corinth, you know, they come to church, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And Paul says to them, a body of believers. Remember, he states that they are believers. First Corinthians chapter one, two, three, four. And then, you know, boom, the hammer drops in, in chapter five. But, you know, in chapter one, two, three, four, you know, you guys are believers. You guys are saints. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says in chapter five, your rejoicing isn't a good thing. You gather, you sing, you worship the Lord. But your rejoicing is not a good thing. He says, your glorying is not a good thing. Why? He says, because there's sin in the camp. There's leaven in the camp. There's Achans in the camp. And when there's Achans in the camp, remember our study in Joshua 7, when there's Achans in the camp, you will not have victory. You see? And then what does he say? He says, separate. You cannot say, okay, this guy's going to burn in hell. She's going to burn in hell. He's going to burn in hell because that's crino. That's between them and the Lord. But it's for the remnant to say, listen, you know, three years of rest of development, you, you know, you came to the Lord and you were on crack and three years later, you're still on crack. You came to the Lord and you were into extortion and, you know, three years later and you're still extorting. You, you came to the Lord and you were alcoholic and three years later, you're still alcoholic. You see, the remnant has it because there's no change. That person may still believe in Jesus Christ, but there's no obedience unto Jesus Christ. And so it's the remnant who then separates from 
the leaven. It's the remnant that separates from the leaven. And now when you have the remnant, now it's, you know, let's go to work. Let's clean house. Let's continue cleaning house. You know, the, the leaven, leaven's taken care of. Now, in the course of time, in the leaven, a person might repent and come to re- repent and, you know, be restored in the Lord. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, the remnant, bring that person back. You see, welcome that person back because they, they repented. Now they're clean. Just like leprosy in the Old Testament. Leprosy out of the camp. Leprosy gone in the camp. You see, same. Old Testament, New Testament, same. I mean, different in terms of, you know, elements, but, you know, the same in terms of concept, in terms of clean and dirty. You and me, we have to make these determinations and assessments, and that's anacrino and diacrino. And so speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 1, who will judge, who will crino, the living and the dead. Now, these aren't two categories of the living and the dead. These are not two categories. Because remember, it's not who will judge the living and who will judge the dead. These are not two camps. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible teaches, it's appointed unto men once to die and then judgment. How this translates, you know, Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead, not two camps. It's one camp. It's living while dead. Living while dead. Remember when Jesus Christ called the disciples to him, you know, and, you know, oh, you know, we have some family members that died. Let us go to the funeral, you know, take care of our family business and, you know, our biological family. Let us deal with our biological family. We got a funeral over here and, oh, you know, I, you know, I love my biological family, my biological family. I was born into this and, you know, this and that. And what does Jesus Christ say? He says, let the dead bury their own. Yes, there's a dead guy, dead lady. Somebody died, you know. There's a death in the biological family. And when the disciple says, you know, oh, let me go to this funeral. We got to handle, we got these family affairs. What does Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead bury their own. See? He speaks of a people who are living but they're dead. You see, how is that possible? To be alive and dead? How is that possible? Remember Jesus Christ says, you know, light has come into the world, but people love darkness, not instead of the light. In some cases, that's applicable. People love darkness instead of the light. But Jesus says, people love darkness more than the light. More than the light. You know, it's like, you know, yes, I love Jesus, but you know what? I like my crack a whole lot better. I love Jesus, but you know what? I love the sex a whole lot more. You know, I love Jesus, but I love the alcohol a whole lot more. You see? People love darkness more than the light. And when you see that, that's, The dead while living. 
You see, but don't be discouraged because when you get into the middle of the uh, of the gospels and towards the end, what do you start to see? You start to see like moms and you know family members of the disciples who believe in Jesus Christ. You see? You start to see like these where Jesus says, you know, they let the dead bury their own. It's like okay, they're dead, but does that mean that they're they're dead for good? No, because each person has each person has their life to live, but in the course of time, a person, I mean, take yourself. Take yourself before you were a Christian. You see, you were dead. You were living while dead. You were alive. Your heart was beating, but spiritually dead. You were not born again. I mean, I say you, but I mean, me too. Before I came to Christ, I was dead in sin. I was living while dead. But then in the course of time, you know, I could say, look at us now, but I don't want to say it like that. What I do want to say is, look at what the Lord has done. Now we're not living while dead. You see? We're alive in Christ. It's very important to understand these deep spiritual things because when you don't, all kinds of winds of doctrine become introduced. All kinds of, you know, the preacher guys, the servants of Satan, the pseudodelphos, they'll come and say, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that and Therefore, you know, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Well, the Bible says this. The Bible says that. Therefore, God is all done with Israel. Well, the Bible says this. The Bible says that. So therefore, you know, abide into the crazy love books. You know, oh, the Bible says this. The Bible says that. Therefore, let's go grave soaking. When you know the Bible, you understand formula, you understand doctrine that is sound. Everything aligns perfectly, Old Testament, New Testament. You know, it's like, you know, you take a square of the New Testament and it goes in the square hole of the Old Testament. It fits perfectly. But if you take a square of the New Testament and try to shove it in the circle of the Old Testament, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Everything has to fit perfectly. A perfect fit, the triangle in the triangle hole, the circle in the circle hole, the square in the square hole, the trapezoid in the trapezoid hole. Everything has to fit. You see? And speaking of the Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. Now, when does this judgment come? He says, at his appearing. Epiphania in the Greek, where, you know, we get the word epiphany. The manifestation and brightness and his kingdom or translates as and his rule and his kingdom and his rule. Now, remember in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, unto us a child is born. A lot of times people apply that to a the Christmas season, which is fine. 
Unto us a child is born. Okay, you know, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. You know, the birth of Jesus. Unto us a child is born. And I don't say that facetiously or, you know, to discredit or any disrespect to the Lord or to people who celebrate. Very applicable. Unto us a child is born. But prophetically speaking, unto us a child is born. Put a check mark there. Boom, that is done. Unto us a child is born. Boom, check mark. Done. Fulfilled prophecy. Unto us a son is given. Put a check mark there. Boom, done. Well, listen, if you're listening and you're not a believer, don't put a check mark. Because you can't. Because you're not a believer. If you are not a believer, do not put a check mark there. The only way you can put a check mark there is when you are a believer. Now, if, if you're not a believer, you know, don't be discouraged like, you know, okay, well, does the check mark not apply to me? If you're not a believer, the check mark does not apply to you yet. And I say unto you, repent. Repent of your sin and be born again. How does that happen? Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you do that. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. You see? You do that. I say, welcome to the family. But then I also say, now you can put a check mark there. Unto us a son is given. Check mark. Why? Because you and me, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, I don't care how young you are, how old you are, how middle-aged you are, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, you and me, check mark. Done. Because unto us a son is given. We have received the gift of salvation. You see? People say, well, Jesus died on the cross, but only in a saving way for the elect. No, that's Calvinism. That's replacement theology, which is just a theory, which is also unbiblical. The gift is given. But the question is, who among us receives it? Who among the world receives it? Remember the example we gave several weeks ago? And we've given it before, but I'll say it again. You come to my door. You knock on the door. I open the door and say, hey, nice to meet you. I say, I've never met you. Nice to meet you. What do you want? <laughs> How can I help you? And you say, hey, look, I got a gift for you. I say, no, no, thanks. I don't want it. Get out of here. Look, you had a gift for me. But I did not receive it. I did not receive you. I did not receive the gift. You see? But you had the gift for me. And then, you know, say you come another a week later. Hey, hey, how you doing? You know, I still got the gift for you. It's wrapped. I got the bow and everything. So I take it and I say, thanks. I watch you walk away and I, you know, throw it in the garbage. I still didn't receive the gift. You see? Another week goes by, you got another gift. Knock on the door. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I got another gift for you. You see? Got another gift for you. I'm like, okay, you know, that's nice. You know, I see you walk away, close the door, and I just let it sit there, collect dust. Even still, I have not received the gift. The whole time you've had the gift for me, 
in the course of time. You know, say it's happened for 10 years. The whole time, I never received the gift. You had it, I rejected. You see, you had it, I took it, but I still rejected it because I didn't open it, no nothing. So for 10 years, I've rejected the gift. I'll put it another way. For 10 years, I've been dead. I mean, you know, since, you know, born into Adam, I've been dead for a long time. But, you know, since this interaction, I've still been dead, you know, living while dead. And then finally, the 11th year. You knock on my door, I open it. Hey, how you doing, you know? We become a little, you know, cordial because, you know, I've seen you for the past 10 years. Hey, how you doing? You say, yes, how you doing? Hey, I got this gift for you. And then I open it. And it's the most lovely, beautiful, exquisite thing. I've never seen it. I never even realized that I always wanted it. But it. It's so perfect, so lovely, so gorgeous, so exquisite that I fall in love with the gift and then I look up at you and how, how did you even know? And then I fall in love with you. You see? Oh my goodness. For 11 years. And finally, the 11th year, boom. Oneness. Oneness. Now I have received the gift. You see? So just like the prophecy says, Isaiah 9 verse 6, Unto us a child is born. Check mark. Boom. Done. Unto us a son is given. Boom. Done. Check mark. See, believer, if you're a brand new believer, say today's your birthday. You're listening. You're not a believer. And you just hit pause. Like I mentioned earlier, you hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You come back, you listen. Boom. This is your, this is your birthday, your spiritual birthday. A new believer in Jesus Christ. Now, you, just like the example, say for 10 years, you, you haven't received the gift. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard, you know, Christians say this. You've heard Christians speak that. And you've never received Jesus, but today you have. Now you have received the gift. And now you're in love with Jesus. And now you can fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ. Boom, check mark. Unto us a son is given. But what does Isaiah 9 verse 6 says? It says, and government. Government will be upon his shoulder. That, no check mark. That's pending. That's pending. See, a lot of people read Isaiah 9, 6 as a Christmas verse, which I understand. But it's prophetic. Unto us a child is born. That's Jesus. Boom. Check mark. Son is given. Boom. Check mark. You and me, we've received the gift. Salvation. He's like, remember the gift? Like, why? Well, I, I didn't even know. I, I, I needed this. I wanted this. So beautiful. Salvation? 
Not a lot of people even know, like, wow, I need a savior. Not a lot of people realize that. Man, when, when I was younger, in my BC days, I didn't know I needed a savior. I didn't know there was anything wrong. I was just, you know, born into Adam. Okay, you know, this is life. You know, eat, drink, be merry. And in the course of time, I had Christian friends. I made fun of them. Made fun of Christians. Teased Christians. You see, I didn't know I needed a savior. I didn't know there was anything wrong with me. And then in the course of time, realize, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I need a savior. That beautiful, exquisite gift. Free gift. I didn't pay for it. You didn't pay for it. But Jesus paid for our salvation with his life. You see? With his life. Life is in the blood. Life for life. And then in the prophetic verse, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That's pending. That's pending. And that's what we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. You see? You know what's so beautiful about people who are in darkness? Yeah, you might say, what? Beautiful to be in darkness? Not beautiful to be in darkness, but something, a beautiful attribute of the aspect of darkness. You know what it is? It's so simple. Turn on the light. Turn on the light. Remember, Jesus says, you are the light of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's Christians. That's you and me. People have are in darkness. And people love darkness more than the light. And darkness is abounds in darkness. It's thick darkness and palpable darkness. But where are the children of the light? Prophetically speaking, those lamps are burning out. Those lamps are getting dim. For such a time as this, you see... The darkness is getting more palpable and thicker darkness. I mean, have you ever been like at nighttime, but you can still see your hand? It's kind of like dusk. It's it's dark, you know, the sun's not out, you know, and you can still kind of see, you know, you see like, you know, you can see your hand. You can still see, you know, like a tree in the distance. You can still see. But have you ever ever been in thick darkness where you could put like, you know, uh, 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 your hand like two inches away from your eyes and you still can't see it? That's what the Bible says the thickness of this darkness is going to be like in the last days. And Christians, Christians who are the light of the world, those lamps, prophetically speaking, are burning out. Why? Because they're running out of oil. So instead of the light counteracting the darkness, 
It's the other way around. The darkness is overtaking the light. But not so with the remnant. Not so with the remnant. And that's what I love so much about the darkness. Not the darkness, not the attributes of the darkness, but another attribute, which is like, boom, flip on the light switch. If you're in darkness, maybe you love darkness more than the light. And you heard me say earlier, you know, repent and come to Christ and welcome to the family. But you still haven't done it. You're just like, okay, that's nice. That's a nice suggestion. But I'll I'll just keep listening to what this guy has to say. Let me tell you something. I'm not a stranger to the dark. There was a point in my life where I loved darkness more than the light. But let me tell you something. That path, it's a dead end. It's a dead end. You might not realize that you're on a path that has a dead end. But it does have a dead end. By God's grace, by God's mercy, he saved me twice from suicide. There's a dead end. That path, there's, you might not realize it now. I mean, you might hit the dead end miles and miles and miles and miles into the future. Could be tomorrow, could be next week, could be next month, could be next year, could be next decade. But no matter where you are on that road, that path of darkness, there is a dead end to it. A dead end to it where there is not, there is no hope. You might think there's hope, but there is no hope. You're being seduced. You're being seduced and ultimately your only hope when you hit the dead end, your only hope, Satan will whisper in your ear and you know, why don't you just kill yourself? That's what Satan does. And I heard that whisper. And I heeded that whisper. But by God's grace, by God's mercy, he rescued me. He actually stopped it from happening. And praise the Lord. I say praise the Lord, you know, for me personally, but praise the Lord because I can tell you that. Praise the Lord, because I can tell you, you might find your hope in your drugs. You might find your hope in your alcohol. You might find your hope in your sex. But it's a dead end. It's a dead end. And I tell you from experience. You see? So when you hear me speak about You know, people love darkness more than the light. And yes, it's beautiful to be in the light. You might think, okay, here's this guy speaking Christianese, you know, you know. Yeah, I get, you know, okay, I admit it is Christianese, but I've been on that path before. I've tasted of that walk before. I've tasted of that path and that roadway before. 
And just as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, I'm telling you, as surely as the Lord lives, there is no better way than walking with Jesus Christ. So if you're listening and you still have repented and come to the light, do it. Do it. God loves you. Remember, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God so sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why we say, jump ship. Whatever ship you're on, jump ship. And then we also say, welcome aboard. There is a better way. And so, understanding this, remember, the the framework of what we're looking at here, we see, you know, Pastor Paul writing to Pastor Timothy, and we see the, the false teachers and the false doctrine and the effects that it's had on the church. And don't forget, you know, you and me, we've read about the impacts to the church, the Corinthian saints, the Galatian saints, the Ephesians. We've read about these things. Timothy was there. He's seen it firsthand. I mean, we've seen it with eyes of faith, but Timothy saw it with, you know, his eyes. He's seen Paul's tears. He's probably shed tears of his own. Because remember, Paul says of him, there is no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your soul. And understanding that, Paul says, in verse 2, preach the word, exclamation point, which is to proclaim, to preach, to herald. Not the New York Times bestseller stuff. Not the, you know, false doctrine. Not regurgitation of the false teachers. No, this preach the word, exclamation point, is to proclaim the word, exclamation point. Exclama- exclamation point. Preach the word. Yes, there's the false teachers. Yes, there's the false doctrine. Yes, you're going to see the fruit of it in the church. Remember last week? But you, Timothy. But you, Timothy. And yes, the darkness is getting more palpable. Yes, we're living in a time where the darkness is going to get even darker and darker and darker. And yes, lamps are burning out. But I say unto you, But you, my beautiful brother, but you, my beautiful sister. You see, balls in our court. Once truth is known from the word, balls in our court. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. Just like Timothy. But you, Timothy. Timothy made his choice. You, me, the remnant, we make our choice. I mean, when you understand the framework that, you know, yes, this is going to happen and yes, it's bad. And I'm not glossing over it like, you know, okay, yes, it's bad. It's going to happen. And, you know, no big deal. It's a huge deal. But this is nothing. This is is a walk in the park right now. This isn't even a walk in the park. The, The world that we live in today, as bad as it is, this is like skipping on lilies. It's going to get so much worse. So much worse. It's going to get darker and darker and darker, but you. 
What is written here in verse 2? Preach the word, exclamation point. Be ready. I love that. I love that. Be ready. It's to stand and be present, but in its, it's in a state of readiness. And also, as friendly and non-friendly, it's to be on assault. Now, that's how the word translates. It's to, you know, to be ready. It's, you know, in friendly and non-friendly to be on assault. You know, and I love this so much because it's a state of readiness and it's exactly that. In order to be in a state of readiness, you have to be trained. We have to be trained. We have to be equipped. We have to know the word of God. Remember, these are pastoral epistles. These are pastoral epistles. Now, if you're not a pastor, does this mean that you don't have to be ready? No, absolutely not. You and me, pastor, non-pastor, teacher, non-teacher, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever the Lord has you, pulpit or pew, be ready. You see, remember, Paul says to the church, he says, you have us as patterns to emulate. He says to Christians, of him, speaking of himself, the Lord has us as patterns for you to emulate. You see? Paul as a pattern for Christians to emulate. Chloe as a pattern for Christians to emulate. Titus, Timothy as a pattern for saints to emulate. So when we look at these pastoral epistles, it's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be ready. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, believe in Jesus and, you know, not apply these things to my life because, you know, I'm not a pastor, so I'm not going to do these things. No. Since they're a pattern, you, you don't know how the Lord's going to call you. The Lord might call you into pastoral ministry. In the course of time, as you are trained up and, you know, equipped in the word of God, the Lord might call you into pastoral ministry. Now, if you're female, the Lord might call you to be a teacher, just like Chloe. Now, understand formula. Women, teachers of women. You see? Women, teachers of women. Pastoral ministry, elder ministry, always male. Coverings, always male. You see? I don't make the rules, but we follow them. Very important. Now, for my sisters in Christ, we mentioned this earlier, but it's worth mentioning again. Be very careful of the Jezebel spirit. It's pride. Be very careful because it, that is on the rise. Because for my sisters in Christ, whom I love, I fully understand that you... You look at the men in the church. I mean, the largest concentration of babies in the church are men. Spiritual babies. Now, sometimes women, they're like, okay, you know, if that if this pastor is going to be defunct, if this pastor is going to be defunct, if, this, if I see all this defunctness, I'm going to take it upon myself and I'm going to be the pastor now. Listen, for my sisters. I see the defunctness. You know, there are not a lot of full package pastors. And I'm on board with you in terms of 
I understand the defunctness. But you cannot, you must not take it upon yourself to say, I'm going to be a pastor. You cannot. Because now you are in disobedience unto the Lord. Because coverings are always male. You could you could be like Chloe and be like, wow, it's dangerous for me to submit to this guy. It's dangerous for me to submit to this guy because they're defunct. The formula's wrong. They're not, they're zero package. They're like nothing. The formula's wrong in them. So, like Chloe, a fellowship of women. Teaching. You see? Who was the male covering? Paul. You see? Chloe did not submit herself to the defunct. And she understood the danger of if these ladies submit themselves to the defunct, they're in trouble. You know, the defunct, you know, he made his choice. The leaven, they made their choice. Ball was in their court. But for these ladies, if they do that, that's dangerous for them. So to prevent that from happening, you know what? Hey, you know, go to the sisters. Hey, you know. Come to this, you know, we're going to have a Bible study. We're going to teach like this. So be very careful of the Jezebel spirit for my sisters in Christ. Because the defunctness among the pastors, it's off the charts. It's everywhere. It's off the charts. The answer, my sisters in Christ, isn't to take it upon yourself and say, okay, I'm going to be a pastor because that's pride, that's arrogance. And now in doing that, in the spirit of Jezebel, all of a sudden, it's like you're operating in a manner that is disobedient. And we don't want that. We want you to be operating in a manner that is obedient unto the Lord. Just like Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Chloe. You see? Protect your heart. Wisdom. So much wisdom is required in these last days. Where can it be found? Not a lot of places. In this state of readiness, when Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, be ready. So be trained and equipped. Now, it's so powerful. I mean, this state of readiness. Remember when, when Paul was writing to Timothy about, you know, to endure like the, it says soldier. I don't like that word. We'll say warrior. It translates in the Greek as warrior, you know, to, to endure like the warrior, the athlete, and the farmer. Well, you picture the state of readiness of the warrior. That's some hardcore, that's a hardcore state of readiness. I mean, you could be in, if you're in the warrior class, Yes, as, as Christians, yes, that's beautiful. But I'm just speaking, you know, like, you know, uh, in accordance to the flesh. If you're in among the warrior class, that state of readiness, when your unit is coded for not that, you know, you, you might go into hot zones. No, your unit is coded specifically tasked. No, you're designed for warfare. You're designed to fight. Your whole organization, everything, it is specifically tasked to engage. That state of readiness, that's off the charts. At a moment's notice, boom, ready to go. You see? You look at the athlete. 
the state of readiness of the athlete. Now, you have like professional athletes, but when you have top tier professional athletes, like sometimes you see like a professional athlete, but in the off season, they put on 20 pounds, you know, they put on 15, 20, 30 pounds. They're an athlete, yes, but I'm talking top echelon, top tier athletes. They're always in a state of readiness. Off season, they're still training. And we're talking top tier athletes. You look at the farmer. What off time does the farmer have? None. What off time does the farmer have? Absolutely none. Wake up early in the morning, starts working. Sits down to eat dinner. You think, okay, I got a moment of rest. All of a sudden, you know, a cow's giving birth. It's okay, boom, I got to go. Got to go take care of the cow. Goat's giving birth. Got to go take care of the goat. You know? A cow got his leg trapped in a, in a hole or something like that. Okay, got to go take care of the cow. At a moment's notice, there is no moment of rest. Constant state of readiness. When Paul says to endure like the warrior, endure like the athlete, endure like the farmer. So yes, there's all this mess in this landscape of mess and destruction the false teachers the fruit of the false teachers people who are aligning themselves to the false the false teachers their doctrine is not sound you have you know the himenaeuses out there and they're spreading these you know their doctrine is wrong they do not align to sound doctrine and so their followers are not in alignment to sound doctrine and yes things are getting dark and paul says listen preach the word exclamation point be ready the state of readiness in season and out of season. You see? I mean, you consider farmers. Crops have seasons. But work still happens in the off season. I mean, if you're a farmer listening, you understand that there is no off season. There's no such thing as the off season. Some of the hardest workers I've ever met in my life are the farmers. The hardest workers I've ever met in my life. The farmers. To be ready. This state of readiness. And what does he say here? He says, convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. To convince is to convict, convince, admonish, and rebuke. To rebuke translates as reprimand, reprimand, to censure, harsh criticism. It's to forbid and also to rebuke. To exhort is to comfort, implore, and urge now when you consider these duties of a shepherd pastor it's a big deal a very big deal god's house must be clean must be clean and only the clean can clean i mean you picture moses and joshua and all israel was defiled and you picture Moses and Joshua. Remember, only the clean can clean. And they were clean before the Lord. 
and you consider how the Lord used them. And our studies in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and now Joshua and our Wednesday studies through the Old Testament. And you see Moses and Joshua. Now in our study in Joshua, Moses already died, but you see them doing this exact thing. You see them convicting, convincing, admonishing, rebuking, reprimanding, censuring, giving harsh criticism, forbidding, rebuking, comforting, exhorting, imploring, and urging. You see these attributes. You see these attributes among full package pastors in the New Testament, such as Paul, such as Timothy, such as Titus. You see it. But what about today? What about today? Because Paul says, convince, rebuke, and exhort. Today, pastors only exhort. God's house must be clean. And once it's clean, it's got to stay clean. Is it exhortation only? Is it comfort only? The answer is no. There will be times of harsh criticism. There will be times of rebuke. Now, it's not to say pastors can just go off the wall and start, you know, beat the sheep. But it's only doable with the full package pastor. Because there's no hypocrisy. When you don't have the full package pastor and he starts to do this, he starts to rebuke or give criticism on harsh criticism and reprimand, but he himself is guilty of those very things. Now that's judgment. Not unto the Christian, not unto the pew, unto the pastor. Romans chapter 2. You see, the full package pastor understands this. Not the hypocrite. Sometimes I talk to non-believers and it breaks my heart because yes, I want them to believe. But at the same time, you know, sometimes we get into the the nitty gritty. It's like, you know, sometimes they're former, you know, they they were in in, in the church. They used to believe. And sometimes when I ask them, you know, you know, what's up, you know, I mean, I don't say it like that, but well, sometimes I do, but you know, like, why don't you believe? Why, why are you so opposed to Jesus Christ? And sometimes they tell me it's because of the hypocrisy I see in the church. Because this guy wants me to live a holy life, but he himself is a sex head. This guy wants me to live you know, uh, like, like a Christian. This guy wants me to be a Christian, but he's, a, you know, he's doing his sex, his drugs, his alcohol, his casinos, his, you know, his gambling, doing all the drugs and doing this and that. And he wants me to be a Christian? This guy wants me to be a Christian? Because if he's exemplifying Christianity, I want nothing to do with that because he's a hypocrite. You see? And I have no argument. I'm on board with that. You cannot follow the hypocrite. You see, when you understand formula and recipe, you know that guy's a hypocrite. That that ain't no full package. 
You see? A lot of times people, when they think of the pastor, they think, okay, I just want exhortation. I don't want to go to church and feel bad about myself. I want to go to church and feel good. I want to feel like a bouquet of flowers, a bouquet of roses. I don't want to feel bad about myself. Well, it's possible to go to church and listen to a sermon, listen to the message, and feel absolutely 100% beautiful. But the only way that's going to happen is when you're obedient to the Lord. That's the only way it'll happen. When you're obedient to the Lord. Because you know what? If you're doing your sex, your drugs, your alcohol, the Buddha, Mary, you know, the occult and Ouija boards and yoga and all kinds of things, you're doing that, you're going to go to church. And when you have a full package pastor, he's going to teach the word of God. And it's only a matter of time before you're going to feel that conviction. But we live in a time where there's churches on every corner. So you go to church, like, okay, I don't like that guy, you know, he hurt my little feelers. So I'm just going to go across the street. I'm going to go over here where this guy, you know, he won't, I won't feel that. I'm going to, I'm going to feel good about myself. I still do my, I still do my crack. I still do my sex. I still go to the casino and I'm going to feel like a million bucks. I'm going to feel nice and beautiful about myself because, you know, social club, you know, gather here and meet people and they're friendly and this and that. You see, we live in a time where people want exhortation only. And don't forget, in our study in the epistles, the, the letters to the churches, exhortation is not without correction. Exhortation itself is not without correction. But when people think of exhortation, they only want the comfort part. Oh, I want to go to church. I want to hear a nice message. And I want to feel like a million bucks. But if you're in sin, you will not feel like a million bucks. You're going to feel like dirt. You're going to feel like dirt. You see? Which means, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. You see? These duties of the shepherds, the faithful shepherds, it's a big deal. In a church setting, you take a church setting. Say there's a church of, we'll go small, a church of 10 people. 10. One zero. A church of 10 people. You have a person, they're all Christians, they're all believers. You have a person who's doing drugs. Sex. Another person who's doing sex. Another person who's alcoholic. Another person who's, um, uh, you know, whatever, you know, just, you know, fill in the blank, you know, the occult, a person who's doing Ouija boards, a person who does the hot yoga, you know, it's not yoga, it's hot yoga, same thing. When you sweat, when you don't sweat, it's still yoga. No, it's just stretching, it's just stretching. Well, if it's just stretching, just stretch. You want to do yoga, the kundalini spirit, and awaken that from the spine and, you know, your third eye, you know. You want to do the sun salutation. You know what the Bible says? You know, the what, you know, Ezekiel, when the Lord reveals to Ezekiel what the elders are doing, you know what they're doing? They're doing the sun salutation. They're worshiping the sun. Oh, it's just a stretch. I'm doing my sun salutation. I just, I just want to do this. I want to do that. Well, 
That's what the Lord says the wicked, the wicked priests were doing. Oh, it's not yoga. It's hot yoga. Same thing. You just sweat. One you sweat, the other you don't sweat. Ball's in your court. Oh, you're too hardcore. You're too hardcore. Well, I'm, I'm just the messenger. So you take this church setting of just 10 people. Now, a faithful shepherd would go to the drug guy. Hey, what's up with the crack? You know, call him on it. What's up with the crack? Admonishment. Convincing. Hey, put the crack away. No more. Flush it. Get rid of it. We're Christians. We're, that's unbecoming of a Christian. And say you have a couple ladies there in that ten, body of ten. And they're obedient to the Lord. They're obedient to the Lord. You know, praise be to the Lord. You're not going to... Those ladies aren't going to feel the admonishment of the pastor. They're going to feel, you know, comfort. They're going to go to church and feel like, wow, this is, this is like home. Because it's the ecclesia. Now the guy who's, who's on drugs, he's now he's convinced. And now, okay, listen, I'm, I'm done with the crack. No more crack. And there's accountability, but it's not carnal. The overarching accountability is accountability unto the Lord. Not to blaspheme the name of the Lord by behavior. And this guy who was, you know, on drugs, saved, but then, you know, went back to drugs. And then all of a sudden he understands now that he's convinced now. And now he repents. He's corrected. And now it's like, okay, now slide him with the ladies. Now he's obedient. Now for the ladies to bear his burdens and for him to bear her burdens. Now it is safe. But for the ladies to bear the burdens while he was on drugs, that's dangerous because they could become crackheads. So now instead of two who are obedient, you have three who are obedient. Two ladies and a guy. And there's no funny business. You you hear me say like two ladies and a guy, you know, carnally speaking, that can get out of hand. That can get out of hand. Among the carnal, among those who perish. But among the ecclesia, it is perfectly safe. Because the guy is not going to try any funny business. He's not going to be touchy-feely. The ladies aren't going to do any funny business. They're not going to be touchy-feely. Why? Because our bodies are temples of the Lord. You see? And we live to honor Him. You see? And so remember, it's a church of 10. So say another guy is doing a sex. Say it's a lady now. She's doing a, a different lady. Not the two ladies, but another lady. And she's doing her sex. She's doing her sex and... Just like with the drug, the pastor, the faithful shepherd, hey, you know, what's up with the sex? What's up with the sex? You know, you guy over here, guy over there. What's, that's unbecoming of a Christian. And, you know, she was a, a sex head before she became a Christian, and she's a Christian, and she's still a sex head. Now the pastor has a job to do. I mean, the pastor has a job to do in terms of, you know, uh, 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 admonishment and convincing. When she's not convinced, now the criticism will become harsh 
even rebuking. And she's still adamant. She's a baby Christian, but she's been a baby Christian for four years. And she's adamant. Nope. I love Jesus, but you know, I'm not giving up the sex. Now the pastor's responsibility is, okay. Ball's in your court. Now the ball's in my court. You cannot fellowship here anymore. You see? Because now, if she were to be lumped in with those three, now it is unsafe for the three to bear her burdens. Why? Because she's messing with sin. It's not to say that we're all going to be sinless. That's a future event. But as we grow, as we mature, we're going to be we're going to sin less and less and less. Now, by the person's choice, by this lady's choices. Now she it's not to say look okay, you're an unbeliever and you're going to burn in hell. Nobody can say that. But is to say okay, now it's not like the pastor has identified her as leaven, which there's that too, but the bigger issue is that she, by her behavior, by her fruit, by her unwillingness, and by her love of darkness more than the light, she has identified herself. You see? Now the pastor can say, okay, I presented this to you, I admonished you, and I attempted to convince you where the ball was in your court to respond. But now, through your inability or unwillingness to respond in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, which is to repent and be cleaned up, now the pastor can say, now the ball's in my court. And I have sheep and lamb to protect. Now, okay, I love you, but you can't fellowship here anymore. You see? Because... This lady's a sex head. Say, for example, she gets lumped in with the three. So now it's a group of four. And, you know, they're, they're bearing one another's burdens. And then one of the ladies, say the, the, one of the ladies goes and, you know, fellowship, goes to her house and fellowships with the other lady. And the other lady's a sex head. Think about what this other lady's exposed to now. When she herself is growing and maturing. And if she's not, if she's not deadly, she doesn't understand. You see? Now it's dangerous for that lamb. It's dangerous for that sheep. We have to make these distinctions. So now you have a church of three. I mean, there's a church of 10, but there's other, there's people that are being dealt with. And I, when I say dealt with, I don't mean like, okay, you know, my way or the highway. No pastor can say that's the Lord's way. He is the way. And this is a course of time. This isn't like, hey, you know, hey, I saw you smoking a cigarette, so boom, you're out of here. No, it's repetition, you know, in the course of time. Three years, arrested development in Corinth. Three years. You see? And so now this church of 10, you have people that are clean before the Lord, which is the three. Well, two were, two were clean, 
but now three are clean. Remember, it's clean and stay clean. It's not once once saved, always saved. It's once saved, stay saved. So you have two who are clean and stay clean. And church feels like home. You see? You have the guy who was on drugs and he was clean when he came to the Lord, but then he got dirty again. Now he's cleaned up and now he's made his decision. He's repented. He's, he's clean before the Lord. Now you can lump him in with the, th- the, with the two ladies. It's safe for them to, to bear one another's burdens. <clears throat> but then you got the lady sex head. And so the pastor says, hey, you know, you can't fellowship. It's, you know, it's, it's five years. Five years she's been a sex head the whole time and she's refused. Okay, pastor, you know, now the ball's in my court. You can't fellowship anymore because you're leaven. And a little, a little leaven, not the whole leaven, just a little tiny leaven. Leaven's the bunch. And remember, the pastor, that shepherd, he's responsible. <laughs> it's not like, you know, he's trying to be a jerk. He's responsible and accountable. He has a responsibility. You could say he has a responsibility for the 10. Yes, he does. But what happens if it's only the three, the two ladies and the guy? What if it's only the three that submit themselves to the pastor? Because they're in obedience to the Lord. And they understand and see through their obedience as being Bereans with a noble heart. They see this pack, this pastor's full package. It is safe for me to submit myself to him. You see? But the other, the lady who's a sex head, all of a sudden she says, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to go to this other church where, you know, I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm still going to do my sex. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I'm going to go to church and sit in those pews and I'm going to feel good about myself. And she can do that. You see? And the pastor has responsibility for the 10. But then the lady leaves and now it's nine. But the lady leaves and then all of a sudden, does the pastor have responsibility for her? No. You know why? She left. She left. Now his accountability, does it include her? No. Why? She left. Now she calls the other, I'm terrible at math, um, six, I think. So she calls the other six and says, hey, look, you know, this church over here, they got a full band. They have the worship. It's like a rock concert. They got the smoke and they got all this. It's like a rock star. The, 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 the worship leader is like a rock star. The message, the, 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 uh, the sermon, it's only 20 minutes long. Hey, come over here. That other pastor, he's a freak show. You know, don't listen to him. He's crazy. He's so mean because I don't feel the comfort. I don't feel the, you know, I don't feel the, the exhortation or the comfort. All I feel is the admonishment. All I feel is the criticism and harsh criticism. All I feel is the reprimanding. And so now the others, they leave and go to the other fellowship. And so now you have a tiny church of three. The pastor, he's responsible for the three. He's accountable for the three. Why? The others left. You see? The pastor was responsible and accountable for the 10. 
And the pastor did teach sound doctrine, full package. The fruit, evident, not on marriage five. You see, that's how church is. A lot of times as Christians, we think, okay, I want to go to church and feel the comfort. The only way you will feel the comfort is when you're obedient to the Lord. Because you can do your sex, you can do your alcohol, you can do your drugs and go to church and you're not going to feel good. I mean, full package, you know, pastor, where, where the, the, the doctrine is right and the formula is right, the recipe is right in him, in the elders, in the sanctuary, where you see the formula is right. You're going to go to church and you're going to feel like, wow, this is like home. When you're obedient to the Lord, you're going to feel like, oh my goodness, this is, this is home. But you do the sex, you do the drugs, you're going to, oh my goodness, this pastor, he's so mean. I can't believe he doesn't want me to do this sex. Look, I'm married and he doesn't want me to, you know, do my little, uh, my little app on my little sex app on the phone. Look, I'm married and he doesn't want me to uh, uh, go to the strip club. Look, I'm married and he doesn't want me to go to the prostitutes. Oh, he's so mean. Look, I got kids and he doesn't want me to expose my kids to sex. And I, wa- I want to do that anyways. Oh, he's so mean. Part of the responsibility of the faithful shepherd is to admonish and rebuke and criticize, give harsh criticism. People say, oh, you're not supposed to have a critical spirit. You know how unbiblical that is? People don't like a critical spirit. Kritikos in the Greek. Kritikos. The Bible says we're supposed to have that. Shepherds are supposed to have that. But the leaven says we're not supposed to have that. But when the leaven speaks, understand it's leaven that's speaking. Because in a church setting, I mean, it's just like with kids. You take kids, like a group of kids. You're going to have like good kids. You say, hey, take your seat. And they're going to take their seat. You say, hey, it's lunchtime. You know, eat your lunch. And they're going to do exactly that. And then you're going to have, you know, hey, kid, take your seat. He's going to be jumping off the walls. Okay, he's got to be dealt with, you know. Hey, it's lunchtime. And they're, you know, instead of putting it in their mouth, they're like throwing it across the room. Okay, she's got to be dealt with. You're going to have kids that are obedient. And you're going to have other kids that need to learn disobedience. They need to learn obedience. Because they're disobedient, they need to learn obedience. But it's the same in the church. And it's not run-of-the-mill pastor. Can't touch this. Run-of-the-mill pastor is run-of-the-mill. Run-of-the-mill pastor is not going to admonish and rebuke and speak harsh criticism. Run-of-the-mill is not going to do that. Why? Because they like the numbers. They like, oh, I want a mega church. Oh, the fruit of the Lord is the number of Christians, and I want a mega church. And I want all these likes on social media so that I can be an influencer. It's better when Paul's an influencer. 
It's better when Chloe's an influencer. It's better when Timothy, Titus, Phoebe, it's better when they're influencers. Lydia. Because when the godly are influencers, watch out. Because that's a force to be reckoned with. Satan knows this. And he wants to prevent that from ever happening. You see? Because it's a threat to him. And so Paul, when he says, you know, to be ready, that state of readiness in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, which is long suffering is to suffer long and teaching, which is instruction. Now, when you hear me speak of this example, the church of 10, Two ladies are beautiful. I'm at like on point, walking beautifully before the Lord. One guy's been cleaned up, okay, you know, beautiful before the Lord. But for the others, do you know how much pain? You know, Sometimes, for the full package pastor to fulfill his calling, we're talking shepherd, you know, the, the pastor, you know, full package, always male, coverings always male. But for him to fulfill his calling in obedience to the Lord and with the flesh of other people, and how he has to respond. There is suffering. There is suffering. There is pain. There is hurt. If you're a pastor, you will have a broken heart. That's almost like the, the constant state of the full package pastor is a constant broken heart. I mean, if you're a pastor, you're listening, when your heart is not broken, you'll be dead. That's not for this life. It's for the life to come. But in this life, in these earth suits, you will have a broken heart. That's the constant state of the pastor. Because just like that church of 10, you want everybody to be like the two ladies. The two ladies, you know, not to exalt them and be like, wow, look how awesome they are. They get it. But to exalt the Lord in them. And remember, the Lord knows those who are his. And then the guy who was, you know, doing his drugs and, you know, got cleaned up. And now she, he's with the ladies. That Now you have three. Instead of two, now you have three. How beautiful. They're clean before the Lord. 
Pastor, you know, let's get you cleaned up. You're doing the drugs, okay? Let's get you cleaned up. To the lady, okay, you're doing your sex. Let's get you cleaned up. But then she refuses. The hardening of the heart. Instead of jello, it's balsa. Instead of going from balsa to jello, it goes from balsa to maple. Instead of going from maple back to, 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 to jello, it gets harder. Maple to oak. Now she leaves. Now she's got an oak heart. Instead of a jello heart, she's got an oak heart. She's in a new fellowship. She likes the music. She likes the band. It's like a concert, you know, 10-minute sermon. You go in, you listen, you get, you know, entertainment. You got the smoke. You got the laser light show. You got the lights. You got the glam. You got all this. You got all that little 10-minute sermon in the door, out the door. Now there's no way for oak to become jello. Now it goes from oak to pine. The next step is pine to stone. You see? Only the clean can clean. Old Testament, New Testament, only the clean can clean. In the case of Timothy, Paul's far away. Timothy's, he's a pastor. He's a shepherd now. And you look at the landscape of all the defunctness, all the spreading darkness, and Paul said, but you, Timothy, but you, Timothy. He has a job to do. To please the Lord and honor the Lord. And in so doing, he has a responsibility. And to fulfill his calling, yes, he will exhort. Yes, he will comfort. Yes, he will urge and implore. But included, depending on the state of the person, of, on the believer, he might have to rebuke. He might have to give harsh criticism. He might have to admonish. He might have to convict. He might have to forbid. The two ladies in the example, they understood that. They knew the formula. They're Bereans with a noble heart. They understood, okay, you know, the house of God has to be kept clean. Remember, it's gentle. It's not like, hey, let's get you cleaned up and we're going to use, you know, a steel brush. You know, steel wool. We're going to use Brillo pads. No, let's get you cleaned up. It's so gentle. But when people love darkness more than the light, that can't happen. And if you're a pastor and you're listening, and full package, you've been walking with us for a while, you know, if you're a pastor, you're listening, and you're full package, understand, the constant state of your heart will be broken. Keep going. Keep teaching. You see? Because the ecclesia, it's a body of those who are called. It's not just, you know, hey, we got a group of people here. They believe in Jesus and okay, that's nice. You know, that's social club. No. It's warrior training. You see? And Paul says here in verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Translates as... 
when they will not bear with or put up with sound doctrine. Remember, you know, when we look at the formula and the holy recipe, a large chunk of that recipe is sound doctrine. A large chunk of that recipe is sound doctrine. And Paul is saying, a time will come, Timothy, when believers, Christians, they're not going to endure, they're not going to put up with, they're not going to bear with sound doctrine. They're not going to put up with the holy formula in accordance to the word of God. But there's an alternative to sound doctrine. What's the alternative? But according to their own desires, pertaining to self, their own desires, pertaining to self. Remember, these are people who don't want sound doctrine because they have itching ears. Translates as tickling ears. I want the good only. I want the good only. You see? I don't want to study Revelation because it's judgment. I don't want to study, you know, certain parts of the book of Numbers because, you know, it's harsh. I don't want to study the, you know, last day's prophecy because, you know, it's judgment. It's God's judgment. And I don't want to be judgmental. You have pastors today, so-called pastors, who teach, you know, people, uh, pa- pastors who teach on uh, uh, biblical prophecy, last day's prophecy. They are uh, um, not fit for the kingdom of God. That's Rick Warren, Saddleback. Oh, women pastors, women elders, no big deal. But when you understand the holy formula, oh, but that's a mega church. They got all these Christians. When you understand formula, you know, okay, that's crazy town. But then number two, Those Christians, they're in trouble. When you understand formula, when you don't understand formula, holy recipe, it will surely this guy knows what he's talking about. Look, megachurch. You see? And that's what happens with itching ears. I don't want to study Revelation. There's too much. I don't want to study the last days. There's too much judgment. I want to feel good. I want to do my sex and feel good about myself. I want to do my crack and feel like a million bucks. You see, I want to worship Buddha and feel good about myself. You see, I don't like the conviction. I want to do my yoga without conviction. See, I want to do my Ouija boards without conviction. I'm going to go to the strippers and I want to go to, to the casinos without conviction. That's called tickling ears. I want the good only. Because they have itching ears, he says, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Is to seek and accumulate teachers and instructors. And instructors. That's what happens. And Paul is giving a warning to young Pastor Timothy that this time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they're going to heap for themselves teachers. And look what happens in verse 4. And they will turn their ears away from 
the truth. You see, so many times people want, I want the good only, I want the good only. And don't get me wrong, when it's good, it's good. The good is awesome. The good is really good. But sometimes you're going to read a passage of the Bible, a chapter of the Bible, a book of the Bible. Sometimes you're going to read things where it's like, whoa, that that really, that really stabs me in the heart. The Lord will never stab you in the back. He'll come at you from the front. But it's not to stab, to kill. Remember, the word of God is a sh- sharper than a two-edged sword. He's renovating. You can have your preconceived notions about whatever it is. But when you yield to the Lord and yield to the spirit of the Lord, who helps us walk in the Lord, you're going to read passages of scripture and come to the realization through conviction and through, you know, knowledge of the word of God is a gift of the spirit. Don't forget. You're going to come to a situation where it's you that has to change and align yourself to the word of God in obedience to the word of God. And the word became flesh. And I say these things from experience. I had preconceived notions about everything. But when you and me together yield to the word of God, it means exactly that. We have to yield to the word of God. Lord, what is your way? I do my sex. I do my drugs. I do my alcohol. I do my Ouija boards. But Lord, what is your way? And then you read, okay, you don't like the sex. You don't like, I mean, within marriage, okay. But outside of marriage, you know, you don't like that. Okay, I repent. You don't like the Ouija boards. Okay, I repent. You see, you don't like the yoga. Okay, I repent. And it's not just, okay, I repent and I'm going to keep doing it. It's okay, Lord, I repent. I'm done. Your way, not my way. That's what happens when you and me yield to the Lord. Oh, Lord, I go to a good church. I go to a good church and I read your word and all these things. And wow, I'm so in love with you, Lord. And I go to this church and the guy says, take the mark of the beast. They'll still be saved. You see, now there's another choice to make. Okay, am I going to submit to the Bible or am I going to submit to this pastor who says that? Study Bible guy. Take the mark of the beast to still be saved. Lord, my loyalty is to you, so I got to find a new church. Lord, I love you. I'm so in love with you and I love your word and I'm yielding to your word. And the guy, the pastor says, you know, let's go grave soaking. And my loyalty is not to this guy. My loyalty is to you, Lord, so I got to find another church. I got to find a qualified shepherd. I got to find a qualified shepherd that, you know, will help me grow in you, will help me understand your word. And you know what? We're going to paradise. Boom. You find it. Praise be to the Lord by the Lord's grace, by his mercy. You find it. That's family. That's home. That's straight up heirs of Abraham. Heirs of Abraham. I mean, in, in the previous example, the, 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 the church of 10, and there's three people in the church, the two ladies and, you know, the former druggie who's been cleaned up. You know, they're all clean and they're staying clean. 
Do you know how that's like straight up? That's that type of koinonia, that type of ecclesia. It's palpable. The formula is right in the pastor to teach in these sheep and lamb that are, you know, the formula is right in them. The formula is right in sanctuary. And yes, the sex head lady left. And yes, she took the others with her. But so now you have tiny church, four people, one shepherd, three sheep. Now the formula is right in that sanctuary. Then you have mega church, mega church across, you know, a thousand, 10,000 people, whatever it is, you know, 5,000 people, you know, 5,000 people in, you know, the first service and then another 5,000 in, you know, second service and then 10,000 in the third service because, you know, people like to sleep in. So in totality, it's like, wow, there's like, you know, 20,000 people in this church, you know, super mega church. You will not. You only get, I mean, you won't have sound doctrine because a shepherd like that is only going to, only going to give the good stuff. You're not going to hear admonishment from the pastor. You're not going to hear conviction from the pastor. You're not going to see rebuking from the pastor because the pastors, you know, you're not going to see a pastor forbidding anybody. Why? Because more more people, more money. More influence. You see? And then you're going to see dirty sheep. They believe in Jesus. They say. But there's no obedience unto him. Which is a problem. Dirty sheep. And with dirty sheep, you know what else you see? No power. And if there's no power, you know what else you see? Lamps that are starting to dim. And when lamps start to dim, the threat is lamps will go out. And when lamps go out, you know what else you see? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hello, lake of fire. You see how crafty Satan is? See? And Paul is saying to young Pastor Timothy, a young pastor, preach the word. Be ready. That stay in readiness. In verse 3, because the time is coming. They're not going to endure sound doctrine, but because they have itching ears and accordance to their own desires, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will heap up for themselves Instead of the Lord saying, you know, I called this guy. He is my, he is a, a, a faithful servant unto me and I'm using him to preach and teach and I'm using him and you submit to him. And instead of that happening and a person saying, I'm going to submit, the formula is right in this guy and I'm going to submit to him. Instead of that happening, a person is saying, you know what? I like this other guy. He's going to tickle my ears. He's going to give me the good stuff only. You see? And in so doing, in verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth, which translates as to pervert and turn away from truth. And the result, 
and be turned aside to fables. Remember, remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, strong delusion, it's God's judgment. Strong delusion is God's judgment. It's self-inflicted. Why? Because there is no love of the truth. No love of the truth. I'll say it again. No love of the truth. It's how believers, Christians, become apostate. Now, the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the camp, inside the church. This is the process by which a believer becomes apostate. You see? That's how lamps grow dim. And when lamps burn out, that's we're talking weeping and gnashing of teeth. No love of the truth. You see how crafty Satan is? No love of the truth. Oh, this guy has got his doctorate, honorary doctorate. He's got his study Bible. So what if he says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? No big deal. Surely he knows what he's talking about. Listen, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Because he's a servant of Satan. Oh, that's so harsh. How dare you say that? Well, when you understand formula, when you understand formula and holy recipe and sound doctrine, you know that's crazy town. You know the pseudodelphos. You know the servants of Satan. You could sit in any church. You could sit in any church and know instantly, I got to get out of here because this is wrong. And you know what's so beautiful about the Holy Spirit? I mean, you know, a lot of things, but sometimes you're a baby Christian. You don't know sound doctrine well. You know the importance of it, but you don't know the entirety of the Bible. You just have this feeling. You get the heebie-jeebies in a church. You just feel like this isn't home. You just feel like this is not. You feel like a, 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 a like a, a square peg. You just feel like you know. I this isn't home. This isn't family. This is just like I'm just here. There's just something wrong. You could be a a young believer in Christ, and you just don't understand the entirety of this holy recipe. You see it a lot with children. Parents are, you know, very immature believers. And kids grow up and they just feel like, you know, I, 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 I can't call this place a church home. It just doesn't feel right. Praise the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. You see? Who guides. And in his guidance, you know, you, you, you don't feel home. But then, you know, formula. You know, that that example of the church of ten, and now it's four, shepherd and sheep, pastor and th- a church of three. You say, oh, it's just a, a little tiny church. It's just four people. And then you take a mega church with like, you know, 10,000, say 20,000 people, mega church, multiple services, 
Sometimes they have to do Friday service, Saturday service, and Sunday service. They make a lot of money. Like the youth group budget is like, you know, uh, uh, you know, $2 million a year. You know, that's just the budget for the youth group. That's just the budget for like the, the, the toddlers, you know, huge budget just for the toddlers. The, the budget for the, the church of four is like, you know, uh, five bucks a month. Do you know what kind of gifts of the spirit are going to be with that four? Do you know what kind of love feast there will be with that four? Those aren't like dimming lights. Those are like straight up like, you know, super duper high beams. Gifts of prophecy. Gifts of tongues. Gifts of interpretation. Gifts of knowledge. The greatest gift of love. Do you know what that love feast will be like with that four? But then you take the megachurch. Surely they got the numbers. They got the people. Where's the spirit? Where's the Lord? Where's the gifts of the spirit? You say, oh, you're crazy. Surely the megachurch is better. When you understand formula, you understand that no, the four is better. The 20,000, they're in trouble. They need to jump ship. You see? And that's what's going to happen even more so in the last days. Enduring sound doctrine, nobody will do it. You see? Strong delusion is prophesied. Apostasy is prophesied. Understand that apostasy, it's not just like, boom, it happens like that. To become apostate happens in the course of time. You take, you know, from jello to balsa, to maple, to oak, to pine. Last leg, stone. You see? No love of truth. Because a love of truth, a profound, profound love of truth, beautiful, beautiful jello. And so we continue. In verse 5, but you, remember Paul to Timothy, pastor, pastor, but you, be watchful. I love this. I mean, look at it, like verse 2, be ready, that state of readiness. Here in verse 5, but you, be watchful. To be sober, to abstain from wine, to be watchful, to be discreet and discerning. That's how it translates. Oh, but Paul says, drink a little wine. You hear the winos use that as an excuse. Paul says to Timothy, drink some wine. So look, I'm going to get drunk tonight. I'm going to have some Chablis with my pasta. Merlot. I'm going to drink some Merlot. Fools. Oh, but Paul says we can drink. Look, Paul says, you know, drink wine. So I'm going to drink wine. Listen, he's speaking to Timothy. Timothy, who them them two together are not like the average bear. 14 years, little Timmy in Paul's little tiny bubble. Paul knows that if Timothy has a little drink of wine, it's for his, he's got the sickies. He's got to, you know, soothe his stomach. You know, you like the, the, the effects of alcohol on bacteria, stomach bacteria. It's like, okay, we got to fix that. Paul knows, you know, drink a little wine. Paul knows that, you know, Timothy's not going to be that alley, you know, drunk. Because he's a vessel of the Lord. 
But they, you hear the wine today making excuse. Oh, so what if I? So what if I get a little tipsy? Look, Paul says, you know, drink wine. So look, I'm just fulfilling what the Bible says. They twist the scriptures. But what do you expect? What do you expect? I mean, when when you see believers twist the scriptures for their own advantage, to, for their own desires, what else do you think they apply that to? A person twists the scriptures, oh, I want to get drunk tonight, and so I'm going to use these scriptures, these verses to make an excuse. I'm going to be a wino because, you know, Paul says drink a little wine, so I'm going to be a wino and, you know, get a little tipsy tonight. When you see that, you know that such a person is not yielding to the truth of the Bible. Why is such a person refusing to submit themselves to the truth of the Bible? Well, is it because they're a baby? If they're a new believer, you know what you're dealing with. They just don't understand, which is not to say that it's good, but it's understandable. It's expected because it's their babies. But when a person's been a Christian for more than three years, more than three years, and they still exemplify those attributes of the flesh, you're looking at leaven. Now, when you see leaven and understand, okay, that's leaven. And then you see this persistence of refusing to align to the truth of God's word. It's quite possible where you see the leaven, it is quite possible for you also to see that perhaps it is not leaven. Perhaps it is God's judgment. Where the truth of God's word is withheld from them. Why? Because they did not love the truth. You see? They did not love the truth. And then you see, strong delusion starts to settle in. You see? Strong delusion. It's a form of judgment. These are things, you know... You might hear, you know, we say this now and you might hear this and be like, okay, I see it in this guy, I see it in this lady, I see it over here, I see it over there, okay. But in the course of time, you're going to see it everywhere. You're going to see it everywhere. Not with the remnant. The remnant you're going to see get brighter and brighter and brighter, but also smaller and smaller and smaller. And also, more separated. Don't forget, Satan has his tactics. More separated. Satan doesn't want that kind of unity. Unity of the remnant. And Paul says to Timothy, be watchful in all things. It's not a part-time gig. It's not like, you know... Uh, be watchful. This isn't a willy-nilly willy thing. Remember, verse 2, be ready. Here, be watchful. 
endure afflictions. Remember our study through the Thess- Thessalonian letters? We were made for this. We are made for tribulation. It's, you know, picture like a mom with kids. You take a mom with kids, a good mom, not a bad mom. You take a mom with kids. She's always watchful and always ready. Have you ever seen a mom, the good mom, not the bad mom? You ever see a mom, you know, always watching the kids, always watching. Okay, get over here, get over here, get over here. And then, you know, kid starts to, you know, uh, put the, the finger like, you know, a foot away from a light socket. And you see the mom kind of like perk up, like alert. And then the kid is also like, you know, three inches away from the light socket. Boom, the mom is just responding. Boom. You see? Always watchful. Always ready. And Paul says, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist, which is a preacher of the gospel. Fulfill your ministry. To fulfill your ministry, it translates as to fully know, surely believe, be completely assured, and fully carry out your service unto God. Timothy had a very good pattern to emulate. Paul. Paul. Not to deify Paul. Paul says of himself, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The deification is to exalt Christ in Paul. Just like Chloe. I'm so in love with Chloe. But it's not to exalt Chloe, it's to exalt Christ in Chloe. Just like Samuel and Hannah, Timothy, Titus, Lydia, Christ in them. Little Timmy from a little boy, mama and grandma pouring into him. They kind of maxed out. He cleaved unto Paul and with Paul. Paul had a very good pattern to emulate. And Paul says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out, which is, you know, sacrificially as a sacrifice, life is being poured out. And Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Remember our study through Leviticus? If you've been walking with us for a while, nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. You look at the cleanliness of Paul. And when I say cleanliness of Paul... It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's Paul himself who has yielded to the Lord. And you look at that cleanliness and purity. Nothing mangy. And Paul says that I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. Notice it's it's past tense here. He's not saying, I am fighting the good fight. It's end of watch for Paul. I have fought, past tense, agonesimai in the Greek, where we get the word agonize. I have fought the good fight. End of watch, end of the road. Just like with, you know, our transition from Deuteronomy to Joshua. And you see Moses as an old man. End of watch, Moses. End of the road, Moses. But for Paul, end of watch, end of the road. 
I have finished the race. Not, I will finish. I'm at the end of the line. I've finished my, 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 I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Well done. Well done. Beautiful, beautiful Paul. Well done. In verse 8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, or there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Now, a lot of times you hear people and pastors even, they say, well, you know, in heaven, there's five crowns. There's five crowns in heaven. People teach it. People preach it. Pastors teach it. The imperishable crown from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. The crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. The crown of righteousness, which is here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. The crown of glory from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And the crown of life from Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Oh, there's five crowns in heaven. Me and me personally. I reject that idea. I see it as attributes of the same crown. Attributes of the same exact crown. Not five crowns. That's just me. The exact same crown. But different attributes. Imperishable. Rejoicing, righteousness, glory, and life. Attributes of the same exact crown. And Paul, speaking about this crown that is reserved and laid up for him, he says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Remember, it's reserved. And not to me only, he says but also to all who have loved his appearing or manifestation and brightness, which is a future event. A future event. Have you ever gone like to like a, a restaurant, you know, and it's like, okay, there's an empty table over there. And then you look closely, there's like a sign that says reserved. Or like you go to a parking, you know, you go to a park, you think, okay, you got a parking spot here. And you pull in, then you see the sign reserved. You're like, oh man, I got to I got to back up and get out of here. And that's what Paul is speaking. There is a crown that is laid up and reserved. And not just for him, but also to all who has loved, who have loved his appearing. Now, picture. Right now, right now, at this very moment, All the crowns that are in heaven. All the crowns that are in heaven. Right now, no heads to rest on. But yet, they're reserved. They're reserved. You see? For Paul, for Chloe, for Timothy, for Titus, for Lydia, for Priscilla, for Peter, for John, for Matthew. One of them, one of those crowns with the five attributes 
one of them is reserved for you. You see? The formula is very, very specific. When you walk in the way, in accordance to the word of God, the way, the truth, and the life, that crown, it's in heaven right now, as we speak, as you listen, as we fellowship in the spirit, as we, as we have oneness in the spirit right now at this very moment, there is a crown in the heavenly realm. It doesn't have a head right now. But that crown will rest on your head one day. It is reserved for you. Just like you, you go out to dinner, it says reserved. You can't sit there. You go park or you know, reserved. You can't park there. Because that, that table, that parking spot is not for you. But the crown that's in the heavenly realm right now, that's reserved for you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. And so Paul says in verse 10, for Damas has forsaken me, left and deserted and forsaken Paul. That's how it translates, has forsaken. He was also in Paul's bubble. But look what happened. Having loved this present world, which is agapeo, love, but it's to love more, much love. Having much love for this present world, so much to offer. So much to offer. The world has so much to offer. Bright lights, big city. So much to offer. A whole lot of nothing. A whole lot of nothing. Speaking of Demas, who has forsaken and left and deserted and forsaken Paul, who loved, had much love for this present world and has departed to for Thessalonica, he says, the bright lights in the big city, land of opportunity. See you later, Paul. I'm out of here. It was nice to be in your bubble, Paul, but I'm out. Land of opportunity. Look, you know, when I'm with you, I got my, my, my pillow is a rock. When I'm with you, my blanket is, you know, uh, the, uh, some leaves, some branches and leaves. When I'm with you, that's what I get. But here in Thessalonica, the bright lights, big city. I get the Giza sheets. I got the nice fluffy pillow. See you later, Paul. I'm out. That's Demas. You can't, you can't force anybody to do anything. I'm not trying to suggest that Paul was just like, okay, Demas has forsaken me, so that's it. Constant state of having a broken heart. Remember, the state of readiness that Paul is teaching Timothy to preach the word in verse 2, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort. 
long-suffering is not excluded. It's with all long-suffering and teaching. Teach. Don't stop, Timothy. Keep teaching. Don't stop. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, you're going to have a broken heart. You see? Yes, people will leave you. Yes, people will hate you. But keep teaching, Timothy. Look at Paul. Remember the saints in Asia? He said, they've all left. Demas, seduced. Land of opportunity. See you later, Paul. I'm out. There is a better kind of leaving too. Because you have crescents here in verse 10. Crescents for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. That's the better kind of leaving. Now they're on duty, so to speak. Overseers themselves. Damas left not on good terms. He was seduced because he had love. He had much love for the present world. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. In verse 11, only Luke is with me. Remember? Even the saints in Asia. See you later, Paul. We're done. Get Mark and bring him with you. Get Mark. In, in verse 9, be diligent to come with to me quickly, he says. Be diligent to come to me quickly. What's, what's Paul up to? He's in prison. He's about ready to be killed. What's he up to? He says, be diligent to come to me quickly. You know, Demas, he's forsaken me. See you later, Paul. Crescens went to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Dr. Luke is with me, he says in verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you. What's he up to? For he is useful to me for ministry. I love this so much. You know why? Paul's an old man. He's in prison. He's about ready to die, be beheaded. And he's not stopping. He's still fighting. He's still going. And yes, he's being poured as as drink offering in verse 7. You know, he fought the good fight. He's finished his race. End of watch for Paul. But you know what? He's going out swinging. I love that. He's going out swinging. He says in verse 13, or in, in, he says, um, for he is useful to me for ministry. In verse 12, Antichicus, I have sent to Ephesus. So, Demas left, bright lights, big city, seduced. He made his choice. Crescens made his choice. Titus made his choice. Tychicus, he made his choice. And I've sent them. Tychicus, I sent to Ephesus. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. Paul. A vessel of the Lord. A beautiful vessel of the Lord to exalt, not Paul, to exalt Christ in Paul. Now, understand now that we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we have the backdrop of the churches and the regions and the defunctness. We have the backdrop of 
preschool Christians and first grade Christians and second, third, and fourth grade Christians. And we make the distinction between uh, the milk drinkers of Corinth and the meat eaters of Philippi. And Paul sends those from his tiny bubble to care for the saints. Remember in the book of Acts how, you know, we see that those in his bubbles were like yo-yos. Where Paul sends these saints out, these messengers and these vessels out. And they're like yo-yos. They go out, but then they come back. Okay, Paul, they report back to Paul. Okay, this is what this is what's going down, Paul. This is, you know, everybody's fine. This is good. But then there's this other issue here. And so they were like yo-yos. But here at this moment, no more yo-yos. No more yo-yos. Galatia, Crescens, it's go time. Ephesus, Tychicus, it's go time. Dalmatia, which is north of Macedonia, Titus, it's go time. Remember, a state of readiness. Not yo-yos. Crescens, Tychicus, Titus, you're going out. But there's no coming back this time. You're not coming back to me this time. But you're still going to be in this state of readiness. As faithful ministers. You see? Demas, he made his choice. The ball was in his court. And he chose wrongly. He was seduced. The bright lights, the big city, the land of opportunity. See you later, Paul. I'm out of here. My pillow's a rock. My blanket's a a, a big leaf. You see? But here in Thessalonica, I get, you know, the Giza sheets. No more rock for a pillow. See you later, Paul. He made his choice. And Paul says in verse 13, Bring the cloak. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. You see? I love this. Paul like lists his comfort items, you know. <laughs> his comfort items. Bring the cloak. And then he says here, and the books, which is Biblion in the Greek. Biblion, which is like sheets or scrolls of writings. Probably copies of Torah and the prophets. I love this. You know, today we're so spoiled. Because we have our Bibles. You know, Genesis to Revelation, we have our Bibles and... You know, we have the full counsel of the word of God. And, you know, sometimes the Bibles are on apps and people read it on their apps and all these things. And it's like back in the day, you no, know, these big scrolls, big scrolls. And Paul is saying, bring the scroll, bring the scroll of Isaiah with you. Bring the scroll of, you know, of uh, uh, Jeremiah with you. And the books, especially the parchments. I love this so much. The parchments, yeah, he's still going. He's an old man. He's about ready to die. And he's still going to write. Just like the letters that we've been studying this whole time. Letters to the churches, letters to, letters to Christians. He's not stopping. I mean, when he says that in verse 6, I am already being poured out. Man, this is like straight up to the last drop. To the last drop. Drop. 
He says this in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Now, there are several Alexanders in the New Testament. There's Alexander from Acts 19. There's an Alexander from 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is probably the Alexander from 1 Timothy chapter 1. You know, Alexander, he was, he had influence and he was very effective because saints, believers were aligning themselves to Alexander instead of aligning themselves to Paul. Just like in Corinth, when Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. I mean, you, you take that, you know, you take that 10,000, you, you, you write a list of 10,000 pastors. And then on, on, on one side, you have 10,000 pastors, which is probably going to be several pages because it's 10,000 pastors. But then you take another sheet of paper and you write, Paul, <laughs> you know, so you have a, you know, a big, a, a thick chunk of papers where pastors, but then you have one sheet of paper and not even like full writing. It just has the name Paul. You figure surely the Lord is speaking through these 10,000, this big stack of papers. Surely the Lord is speaking through these guys, or at least one, you know, a group of these guys that maybe like, you know, 500, you know, but no, that's defunct. The one sheet of paper, which is just, you could, you could rip a tiny sliver of that piece of paper off and it just has the name Paul. Just that one little piece. That's the better one. That's the one word is better to yield ourselves to. That's the one word is better for the saints of Corinth to yield to. Not the stack of papers. You see? Speaking of this Alexander in verse 14, and yes, he had influence. He says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him. Speaking of this Alexander guy, for he has greatly resisted our words. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 19, these are rejectors of faith and good conscience. And because of that, as a result, they become shipwrecked, shipwrecked concerning the faith. And they resist the words of Paul. He says our words. See, Timothy's on board with Paul. They resist our words, Timothy. Not just resisted our words, they greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, he says in verse 16, no one stood with me. You see, Alexander had weight, he had pull, he had influence, and he was effective. Remember the saints in Asia, they left him. They left Paul. But all forsook me, he says. Forget you, Paul. You're so mean. How dare you speak about my sex? How dare you speak about my alcohol? How dare you speak? So what if I'm a reviler? So what if I'm a drunkard? You see? So what if I extort? Look, it's good for me. It works out good for me because I got fat paychecks. So what if I extort? You're so mean, Paul. God is love and you cause division. We're with Alexander. We're not with you, Paul. We're with Alexander. You see? Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. You see, and for Alexander, he says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. 
And when all forsook Paul, those who were influenced by Alexander, he says of those believers, may it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against them. That's powerful. Because, you know, from time to time you hear us mention that I don't, I don't, I don't blame the pews. I mean, when if, if Christians want to, I don't like it, but if Christians want to go grave soaking, if Christians want to go to a church that says that take the mark of the beast, they'll still be saved, they're in danger. They are very much in danger. And I don't approve of it. I'm not saying if they want to do it, you know, go ahead and do it and it's fine and dandy. But if they don't do that, if they, if they do those things, I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, to a, to a very small degree, I do. Because as Bereans, we're supposed to know. And we're supposed to grow and mature in Christ. But babies don't understand. Babies do not understand. Because a baby Christian might come to the Lord. A person who doesn't know the Lord might come to the Lord and they're a baby Christian. But if they don't know sound doctrine, which they don't because they're babies, they could go inside a church, any church. And if they go inside any church, they can conform to what is taught in that church. And that's where the danger lies. But do I blame the Christian for doing that? To a certain degree, yes, because the Christian needs to be in the Bible and read the Bible and understand the Bible and, you know, understand that, okay, this church is wrong and the pastor wants to go grave soaking and I'm not down with that. Why? Because the Bible says that's necromancy. It's an abomination before the Lord. But I blame the pulpit more than I do the pew. I blame the pulpit more than I do the pew. I mean... Picture Chloe. She makes a choice for herself. You know, I'm, I cannot, as a believer in the Lord, I mean, put yourself in her sandals. As a believer in the Lord, I cannot submit myself to this pastor because he's defunct. Formula's wrong. He's not even a package, like like one package, package two, package three, package. He's, he's nowhere near that. I cannot submit to him. And then she, she could have just gone home and says, okay, I'm going to read my Bible and live devoutly before the Lord. But then the Spirit of the Lord touches her heart. And she realizes, you know, my sisters are in trouble. You see? And she doesn't blame them and be like, you know, like if you're in this church. She, she looks at the pulpit and says, no, this guy is the one who's in the wrong. Of those in the pews, understanding that, okay, you know, I cannot teach males. You know, put yourself in, 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 in Chloe's sandals. I cannot teach males biblically because I want to honor the Lord devoutly. Lived out. I cannot teach males. So, okay, ladies, you know, home fellowship. This guy is crazy town. You cannot submit to him. You see? Same with Paul. Alexander, may the Lord repay him according to his works. But the people that listen to him, what, what do you expect? They, they don't know. May it not be charged against them. 
Remember Paul of the Corinthian saints? He's, I worry for you. I'm afraid for you. I phobia, his phobia. My fear is for you, Corinthian saints, because when these preacher guys come in, the servants of Satan, they're going to come and preach another Jesus, another gospel in accordance to another spirit, and you're going to put up with it. And that's why I fear for you. You see? And there were people who left Paul, influenced by Alexander. And Paul says, may it not be charged against them. Alexander, on the other hand, may the Lord repay him according to his works. Pulpit, we got issues. Pews, we got issues, but you know what? I, I, I don't want it to be charged against them because they're babies. I mean, look at a, you look at a child, a baby, take like a, a, a one-year-old, you know, a 14-month-old. If you expect that child to do calculus, Yes, the baby would be wrong because it can't do calculus. But the overarching issue is you would be wrong because you expected the baby to do calculus. You see? If, if, if I expect the baby to do algebra, which is easier than calculus, no, I would be in the wrong because the baby can't touch calculus but can't, can't touch algebra because the baby doesn't understand. The baby doesn't know. It's true that the baby doesn't know, and but in the course of time, the baby will know. But in this similar example, young believers, they just don't understand. The problem is when babies stay babies. That's the problem. When babies stay babies, arrested development, just like with Corinth. For three years, the pastors there did not... Do exactly what, like, like in, in, in verse two, convince, rebuke, and exhort. They like the comfort, but they didn't convince and rebuke, admonish, give harsh criticism, censure. They did not do that because they were defunct. Not the full package. You see? Babies don't understand. Babies don't get it. Satan doesn't mind baby believers because they're not a threat to him. He wants babies to stay babies. Paul, Timothy, Titus, Crescens, Tychicus, they were threats. They were absolutely threats. Paul, he's about ready to die now. Now Satan thinks, okay, I got a victory. You know, Paul's about ready to die. I'm about ready to get his head. But the word of God is not in chains. There's the next generation of leadership. Timothy, Titus, Christians, Tychicus. Faithful shepherds unto the Lord. The next generation of leadership. You see? And so we continue in closing in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me. Intimacy. Paul's intimacy with the Lord. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me or empowered me so that the message, karugma in the Greek, which is the proclamation of the gospel, so that the message might be preached fully or become fully known is how it translates. Through me. Dia. Dia in the Greek, which is as a channel. See, Paul is a vessel. 
Paul is a vessel, and in obedience, he proclaims the gospel, and after that, balls in their court. Balls in their court. It's between each person and the Lord. Remember Samuel? When Samuel was long-suffering and brokenhearted. Long-suffering and brokenhearted. And the Lord says to Samuel, in his intimacy with Samuel, the Lord says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. You see? Now, carnally speaking, if we were to look at the, the situation with carnal eyes, we can be like, wow, you know, surely the people are rejecting Samuel because Samuel doesn't want that. Samuel is going against the desires of the people. Carnally speaking, we could look with carnal eyes and be like, okay, that kind of looks like what's happening. But spiritually speaking, with spiritual eyes, you see the brokenheartedness of Samuel, long-suffering of Samuel, and in intimacy with the Lord, Samuel as a vessel of the Lord, a dia as a channel, and Samuel's being obedient to the Lord and he proclaims truth. And the balls in the people's court, they make their choice and they say, we want a king. And the Lord speaks to his vessel in his intimacy with his vessel and the vessel's intimacy with the Lord. And Paul says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. You see? They're rejecting me. But it's the same with Paul. It's going to be the same with Timothy. It's going to be the same with Titus. It's going to be the same with any faithful shepherd. It's going to be the way with any faithful Christian. Shepherd or non-shepherd. Worker or non-worker. Worker or field. Worker or building. Remember, we make the distinction. Because when you choose to honor the Lord, not willy-nilly. I'm talking hardcore. When you choose to do that, the world will notice. And so will the church. And with an apostate church, with no love of the truth, who enters into strong delusion Understanding that judgment comes first to the house of God. Understand that. Perilous times. When 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, are coming. But today, perilous times are here. When Paul speaks of this message, this proclamation of the gospel, the karugma, that it might be preached fully through me and that all Gentiles might hear. Now, remember, when Paul tells Timothy, when Paul tells Timothy to fulfill his calling in, in ministry unto God, he says it from experience. Remember, Paul's charge was to preach to the Gentiles. And when Paul says, listen, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. He says it from a position of experience. Because I have fulfilled my ministry. 
You see? I have fulfilled my ministry. And I'm still doing. I'm still, you know, give me the parchments. You know, when you come, you know, get bring the parchments and the books. Especially the parchments. Because I'm writing letters to the saints, to pastors, to shepherds, to the Chloe's, to the Lydia's. I'm writing these letters. And his position of experience is he himself is fulfilling his ministry. Being poured out as a drink offering. And not just poured out, but poured out to the last drop. Because he's an old man, he's about ready to die, and he's still going. And that all the Gentiles might hear, he says, also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Remember what the Bible says, that we must, we must through much tribulation, enter the kingdom. See, we forget that. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom. Verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me. Remember, it's the, the Lord will deliver me or rescue me. It's the end of watch for Paul. He's at the end, but he's every last drop. He's being poured out, poured out as a drink offering. But it's end of watch according to the flesh. End of watch according to the flesh. He says the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me or protect and deliver me for his heavenly kingdom. You see? End of watch according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, paradise. According to the spirit, the promised land. First generation of the flesh must die. Second generation, according to the Spirit, enters. Blueprints are very specific. Does that sound familiar? All our Old Testament studies, first generation, dead, second generation, enters. That's what's so powerful about the full counsel of the Word of God. Old interpreting new, new interpreting old, having the full counsel of the Word of God. He says in verse 18, To Him, the Lord, to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I love verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Achilla. You say, but her name is Priscilla. Well, not for, I mean, when you meet somebody for the first time, you know, there's formalities. You know, oh, hello, Priscilla. Hello, Achilla. But in the course of time, hey, Priscilla. Priscilla, Achilla. I love that. There's informalities with among family. And I speak of heirs of Abraham. Family of faith. Not, you know, you get together, have family get-togethers, and you have, every family has crackpots. Every family has the crazy people, you know? Like, you know, sometimes you have the crazy people where they're just like, you know, a little crazy. Sometimes you have the straight-up, like, super crazy, like, multiple personalities, and it's like, you know, like, demonic. You have, you know, perverts. You got the drugs. You got all this, and it's like, okay, you know, stay away from this guy. Stay away from this guy. Stay away from this lady, you know? You know, you get that in the family. But that's defunctness. Defunctness. 
But when the formula is not right in sanctuary with koinonia attempting to be koinonia, if the formula is not right, you also have that in the church. Laodicea. Laodicea. But when the formula is right, and it's straight up Smyrna, Philadelphia, that's love feast. That's in the example, you know, instead of the 10, now it's the four, pastor and three, you know, the two ladies and the guy who got cleaned up from drugs. It's like, wow, that four is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful koinonia. Ecclesia, episunagage. And there is informality, but it's in a loving manner. It's not derogatory. You see that here in verse 9, Greek prisa. And the killer. And the household of Onesiphorus. Remember, Onesiphorus, he was not ashamed of Paul. People were leaving Paul. People thought Paul was crazy. Onesiphorus, he could say, show me. Show me where Paul is wrong. From the Bible, show me where Paul is wrong. It couldn't be done. Couldn't be done. Show me where he's wrong. I mean, picture that. You and me were students of Paul. Picture that. Let's, let's go back in time. Let's get in the time machine. Let's go back in time, you know. And we're students of Paul. People say, oh, Paul's mean. He told this told this guy that, you know, to, 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 not, to not have fellowship with this guy. Well, why not? What's up with the guy? What's he doing? Oh, he's having sex with his dad's wife. Okay, okay that's understandable. Oh, but Paul's mean. He, you know, God is love and we're supposed to have fellowship. The, the, the body, we're supposed to have unity. You know, we got the New York Times bestseller, unity, unity, crazy love, crazy love. That's nice. It's not the Bible. New York Times bestseller, though. That's nice. It's not the Bible. What does the Bible say? Oh, but Paul's so mean. Why? He told this guy to leave. He told this lady to leave. Why? They were having sex. Are they married? No. In fact, the guy was having sex with his dad's wife. Okay, there you go. That's called leaven, my friend. Okay, next. Show me where he's wrong. Show me where Paul is wrong. You see, this guy, he was extorting, you know, he, he wanted more money, you know, so he was doing the extortion. Well, how long has he been a Christian? Oh, well, he's been a Christian for 10 years. Okay, so now we're in Levin territory. And uh, when he was corrected, did he repent? No, 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 no. He just, you know, Paul, Paul was mean to him. Okay, so Paul was in alignment to the Bible and the will of the Lord. So next, you know, show me where he's wrong. Oh, but look, the majority, all the saints in Asia, they left Paul. That's nice. The ball's in their court. They make their choice. But Alexander says that Paul is mean and to stay away from him. Okay, that's nice. He also says the, he, he also said the, the resurrection has already happened. So his doctrine is crazy town. Next, show me where Paul is wrong. Because you say Paul is mean, but you know, with me and my daughters and, you know, he's actually quite beautiful. He's actually quite lovely. And I submit myself. My daughter submits themselves. You know, we're all in submission to him because he's on his way to paradise. And, you know, we're learning from him. He's pouring into us and we love him. You call him crazy. You call him a crackpot. You call him mean. But show me from the Bible. In accordance to the New York Times bestseller. Yeah. He's crazy. 
In accordance to crazy love, yeah, he's crazy. In accordance to unity, yeah. New York Times bestseller. In accordance to, you know, take the mark of the beast, he'll still be saved. In accordance to the grave soakers, yeah. Paul is crazy. But look at who's speaking. Servants of Satan, the Pseudodelphos. Look at who's speaking. Because me, my daughters, we're in love with Paul. I love the guy. Because look, you know, before I met Paul, my life was a mess. And when I met Paul, my life was still a mess. But then, you know, he told me about Jesus and I love the Lord and I'm growing, I'm maturing. And he tells me more about the Lord and I'm growing, I'm maturing. And I see the hand of God. Let's, let's forget Paul for a moment. Look at my life. Look at what the Lord has done. That's the fruit of the Spirit through vessel Paul. My daughters, they're not crackheads. They're not, you know, doing the sex. You can say Paul's crazy all you want. You can reference these, the saints in Asia that have left him. You can reference all these people that are, you can reference Demas, you know, Demas who says, you know, he was seduced by the bright lights, big city. You know, Demas has forsaken Paul. All these people have left Paul. But show me from the Bible, where is he wrong? Biblically, in accordance to doctrine, where is he wrong? You see, it can't be done. It cannot be done. It can be done among the defunct. It can be done. It can be done among the pseudodelphos, among the false teacher, among the servants of Satan. Even with with false doctrine, it can be done. Because you could say, well, you know, Paul doesn't teach a pre-tribulation rapture. Well, okay, show me in the Bible where the pre-tribulation rapture is there. You know, uh, Paul doesn't teach, you know, that replacement theology. Okay, show me where replacement theology is. Paul doesn't teach that grave soaking is okay. Show me in the Bible where it's okay. See, it can't be done. It's not to say like Paul is untouchable because he's about ready to be beheaded. It's to understand that that's faithful servanthood unto the Lord as a faithful shepherd. And this is what Timothy has to learn. He's already learned a lot, 14 years in the very special, beautiful bubble of Paul. And this is what Timothy has to learn because the road ahead of him, it's not going to be, you know, a piece of cake. It could possibly be that chains and tribulations await him too. But as the Bible says, we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. You see? Onesiphorus, he wasn't ashamed of Paul. Show me where he's wrong. That's it. Show me. Oh, don't listen to Paul. He's crazy. Where? How? Oh, he doesn't like it when I have sex with my dad's wife. Um, hello, that's sex with your dad's wife. You see? He doesn't like it when I extort. Uh, that's extortion. He doesn't like it when, you know, I go grave soaking. Uh, it's an abomination. Show me where Paul is wrong. And that was Onesiphorus. I love that. 
He says in verse 20, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. See, Trophimus, he's got the sickies. Is Paul gossiping? No. He's telling Timothy as a shepherd, shepherd to shepherd, pastor to pastor, overseer to overseer, not like the average bear, Paul to Timothy, Timothy can pray and inquire among the saints. Oh, how's, how's Trophimus doing? The body caring for the body. Verse 21, do your utmost to come before winter. I love that. Remember verse 13? You know, remember the cloak? You know, in, in verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly. And, you know, in verse 13, bring the cloak. Bring the cloak. Why? Because the winter is coming and it's cold. I need that cloak. You see? I want that cloak. Remember, he's old. So, I mean, picture like old, old man hands, you know, riding in the winter. But with a cloak, man, he could really do some serious writing on the parchments. You see? I love that. When Paul starts listing his comforts. Cloak, you know, the, the, the books and the parchments. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. You see, many people have left Paul, but not all. There's still a remnant. Not all. In verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. How beautiful is this? This pastoral letter to Timothy, written in about 67 AD, and between, historically speaking now, between 67 AD and the summer of 68 AD, Paul dies by beheading. And in one respect, it kills me. It breaks my heart because I'm so in love with Paul, just like I'm so in love with Chloe, just like I'm so in love with Prissa and Achilla and Hannah and Samuel, Noah, Moses. Joshua. But you know what? Paul and all these people, the great cloud of witnesses, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet them. Together with our Lord and also together with you. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.